from the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount Plus. Yes! Welcome in to the Bama Online Podcast. It is a St. Patrick's Day edition of T. Watts and TR here on the pod. Travis Schreier, Senior Analyst for BOL, joined by site publisher Tim Watts. Now, Tim, uh, what, how much – we'll get into this later in the podcast. But exactly how Irish are you? I'm zero. I like Irish things, but uh, the lineage, they're zero uh, dating back to – uh, going back to Ireland, any Irish in Tim Watts? I've never looked. I'm one of those guys not sure I want to look under the hood, you know. Um, <laughs> there has to be. I mean, you've seen me. There has to be. I mean, I can't. I stick my arm out of the window and get sunburned. So I think there has to be some Irish in me. I know the I got pigmentation. A- the pigmentation <laughs> suggests at least a a tinge of Irish, maybe. There's Tim. A little, yeah, there's a little bit more. I mean, I had a, I've got a thing called hemochromatosis, which was something that happened over there a lot. There's other little things that uh, that make me think the Irish temper. I've heard that. Uh, I've heard that quite a few times. So I'd imagine I've got some in me. I've never actually did the lineage yet. I've yeah, had, you know, I haven't done much of it either. I haven't. But I, I know there's German, I think German I'm Scottish, kind of, French. I really think I'm going to be kind of boring. I don't think. Yeah, I'm, I'm a mutt. Yeah. I'm a straight I, up mutt. You know? I just like it. You know, I hear all these people mm-hmm. that think they're this and that, and they're never that nor this, it seems like. And I could have told them before they paid their money <laughs> that they weren't as exotic as they had hoped to be. So Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we got a lot to get into on the podcast today. We will. We will sort of uh, uh, test each other, ask each other exactly how Irish we are when it comes to movies, food, culture, even the color green. We'll do that coming up later in the podcast, but a lot of sports to get into today because, after all, we are on the verge of the start of the 2021 NCAA Men's Tournament up in Indiana. In there between Indianapolis, Purdue, the University of Indiana, Alabama, of course, set to take on Iona in opening round play on Saturday afternoon at legendary Hinkle Fieldhouse on the campus of Butler University there in Indianapolis. And, of course, you're a big movie buff. I like the movies, too. So when I think Hinkle Fieldhouse and that arena there at Butler, I think more of Norman Dale and the Hickory Huskers, who won a state title there in the great movie Hoosiers all those years ago. Yeah, absolutely. That's the first thing when I saw it. And this gave me a strong vibe. Like when I covered AAU basketball, they had the Tournament of Champions, and it was all held at NC State, Duke, and North Carolina, and you just sort of bounced around. And when I saw this layout, it reminded me of that. And it was going to be great if you could just ride around and watch basketball, but uh, certainly a different kind of feel to it. And, yeah, the movie Hoosiers, I mean, I don't, you know, we talk about sports movies. Everybody has that on it, but it's uh, definitely one of the most elite sports movies I've ever seen. Yeah, you talk about um – some maybe comparisons between this Alabama team and those Hickory Huskers. Uh, 
of Norman Dale. I don't think Nate Oates is very much like Norman Dale in terms of his basketball philosophy. Norman wanted four passes, right, before a shot. I, I don't think Nate requires that of his guys. No, four passes is <laughs> three possessions, you know, so that – uh. No, but I think there's some fieriness there. You know, Coach Dale ended up at Hickory mm-hmm. after losing his temper after after getting you know fired up. And I think Nate Oates is a fired up guy. We saw him uh, disinvite LSU from the SEC tournament after the- <laughs> on Sunday. Um, so I think there's some uh, fired up emotional when you see those guys and that Bama bench. It's just not them. If you watch, you know, one of the things I've been watching all year is watching Hogson play like bartender to keep people six feet apart or off the field. If you watch that Alabama sideline, he looks like a bouncer at the, at one of the, you know, Hodgson. Oh, he's like, he's like Everett. Remember Everett, uh, on the Hickory team and Hoosiers, his dad that would, his dad that would sort of caretake, uh, Norman Dale there. That's Hodgson. If this was the Hickory Hoosiers. I mean, I see him. He's, he's, and you know, he looks, he's got sort of that Bane, look from Batman when he's wearing <laughs> and he's a big dude, man. That is a big beast. dude. When you look, I mean, that looks like a youth basketball coach. That's how big he is compared to an SEC team. But I like when he like boxes them out off the court. He like gets in front of them, spreads his wings and boxes them out. They're like jumping on his back and he's pulling them back. But um, that's been one of the funnest thing to me. This is an emotional team. We know Petway's a fired up guy. Not loud, but fired up. Slap the floor, you know, go at you kind of guy. So it's been really interesting to watch that coaching staff. And I see why the kids love him. I see why the kids feed off of him. Hodgson, he is a guy that if you go to an Alabama practice and Alabama is working on finishing at the bucket, he's the guy that they put in the paint with that blue pad because uh, he's going to give you a little something extra in terms of contact there around the rim. Uh, I guess John Petty would be – would John Petty be the Jimmy Chitwood of this team? Uh, he's a he's a shooter from the outside. Uh, we weren't for sure that he was going to play this year, kind of like Jimmy Chitwood, you know, going into that memorable season for Hickory. Um, and maybe, maybe Pet is shooter just without the moonshine you know, over there on the bench and, you know, buddy for that Hickory team, he was just solid. He was more the leader of the group. So I'd probably go Herb Jones for buddy. Buddy was sort of undervalued in some ways. Although we saw here in the last day or so, Herb Jones, Tim, a third team, all American, according to the associated press. So a memorable career for Herb, uh, just keeps building. Is he not having one of the most decorated years for any Alabama player? I mean, he's first team all ever. Defensive Player of the Year, Player of the Year, Third Team All-American, uh, which is a huge deal. I mean, that's a huge deal. So he's had some of the some of the best, uh, uh, one of the best seasons as far as getting awards and stuff. And I mean, obviously he's deserved it. Double digit rebounds against LSU, just a you know, just a play. What a weird ending to that game. I don't think we really talked about it, but the ending, Petway, I bet he took the worst layup attempt I've seen in the history of uh, college basketball where he sort of lost his balance and threw it up there. Just a Watt Watford with a three foot short uh, three pointer. And then, you know, the, you know, the bunny at the end with the uh, put back at the end where they missed it. So, but yeah, I would say he's, he's, he's Jimmy, you know, I mean, Petty's as good a shooter as anybody when he's hot and he's been kind of quiet. You know, we've discussed this before. He's been kind of quiet 
Um, as far as shot selection, I don't think he's got nearly as many shots, but uh, he still plays hard defensively. He still makes plays. He still rebounds. He still fights. So, but yeah, we've seen Petty absolutely be Jimmy. You know, I'll make it. Is you know, he? Is know. he? Is 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 Petty getting back to that level of effectiveness, especially where the three point shot is concerned? Is that as important to Alabama's chances of making a Final Four run as anything else for this team, Tim? Or is there another area or two that you would point to? No, I think, Pat, I mean, when you look at I mean, you know, you can't talk enough about what a good job Quinterly's done. Um, Jawan, Gary, they always have that sort of unsung hero, hero whether it be Gary or Bruner or uh, Keon Ellis, somebody will step in. But when you've got that big three clicking – and you got Herb, and Herb's going to do what he's got to do. Herb might have no points and 11 rebounds and eight assists, or he might have, you know, 17, 18 points. He's going to do what he needs, what the team needs him to do, which is fantastic. But I still, I've said it all year, I really think a lot rests on the heels of, uh, you know, Josh Primo, if he's healthy, shooting the ball, and Petty shooting the ball, because they're two outstanding shooters. They've got good size. They've got good range. So I think that's the key. Now, I think this team's proven this weekend – uh, what kind of fight they've got in them. I mean, mm-hmm. we're not really sure what kind of fight. We've seen them fight back, and of course, so we've seen them. We knew they had a lot of, lot of metal to them. We knew they, we knew they had some, uh, some fight in them. But we saw this week, like, adversity. LSU, that was a tough game, and that was a tough game from, from tip to horn, and the same for Tennessee. And Tennessee is a good basketball team, and LSU's a good basketball team. They just weren't as consistent as Alabama this year, so... Um, yeah, I think Petty's going to be the key. But when they work defensively and, and Quinterly just get into the basket like he's doing right now, it's it's really a tough team. I'm surprised to see so many teams like not only picking them in the final four, but pick, uh, I've seen a few picking them to win it. So uh, very interesting times. It is. Um, and a basketball team, as you said, took some big punches over the weekend in Nashville, down 15 in the second half to Tennessee, come all the way back largely on the strength of defense, and then trade punches. I mean, just haymakers with LSU in that championship game. That's the type of chin, championship chin, chin you want to see from a team this time of year. And as we look ahead to the NCAA tournament, big storyline coming up on Saturday, Rick Patino, Tim. Can't get rid of Rick. He's around. He's going to be there forever, I think, and great coach. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I haven't seen anyone just outright pick Iona over Alabama, but there's been sort of that upset alert feel to this game simply because Rick Patino, fifth different team he's taken to the NCAA tournament, which is crazy. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and guess, him that you know Iona, th- this isn't 1992 Kentucky, uh, or one of those teams that, that Rick's got, or 87 Providence uh, that he's got. This is a good low major program, was before he got there, continues to be. And uh, I guess from the Nate Oates side of things, you kind of view Nate Oates as where Rick Patino was all those years ago, maybe at Providence. And with this success for Alabama, Tim, comes rumblings of uh, Nate Oates and potential coaching openings that are coming up I Indiana. Uh, right there in Indiana among them. And I guess this is why Greg Byrne, and this is what Greg Byrne had in mind when he made the extension for Oates happen here a couple weeks ago. Yeah, when you saw Oates talk about that, you had to like it if you're an Alabama fan. He said, 
I don't care what the buyout is. I'm not going anywhere. And, you know, I knew this interest was coming. I knew this. It's not like this was a surprise to him. I mean, he's not a he's not a guy that lacks confidence. He knew he's a good coach. He knew he's having a great year. Um, I don't know. Anybody predicted Alabama to be a two seed. He knew all this. So he knew there would be that uh, other coaches. I mean, other uh, colleges looking at him, you know, and it wouldn't surprise me to see the NBA look at him at some point. So this isn't. This isn't a surprise at all. So he knew what he was doing when he signed his extension. You know, everything I've heard says they're happy to be there. They certainly act happy to be there as well. Um, and again, you know, we said this, you know, if you're an Alabama fan, if you, you know, we followed it with Saban. If you have a coach nobody wants, you probably got the wrong coach. So I think with Nate Oates, we're seeing that, you know, Alabama's done a, done a really good job identifying, hiring this guy, taking care of him, and not doing it. You know, I think it's still – I know with college coaches, a lot of times it means more when you do it and don't have to do it. You know, it's not like that's a re, the, the extension was a reaction to, you know, Indiana. It was, it was, it was more preventive. It was more uh, preventive than anything. So, um, yeah, I think I, – I like what I hear from him so far. Yeah, I mean, you kind of anticipated – the potential for not only a job like Indiana, but even Archie Miller's brother, Sean out at Arizona with some potential issues there. Uh, you look around at Carolina, maybe even Duke in the not too distant future. Uh, so it made a lot of sense, a proactive approach by Byrne and the Alabama administration to go ahead and get that extension in place with Nate Oates before you ever got to the Indianapolis area before we head to a break we're going to transition into some football talk tim and with that before we get into the 2011 recruiting class for nick saban and the university of alabama which started a run of seven straight top ranked classes for the crimson side wanted to get your thoughts on the early stages of nfl free agency tim of course a big uh big fan of the new orleans saints drew Brees made it official tim did what we all expected announced his retirement from the National Football League. And with that, Tim, is it going to really be Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill as the next starting quarterback for the New Orleans Saints? Yeah, that's a good question. I want to say it's going to be uh, Jameis Winston at the end of the day. I mean, Taysom does some good things. Obviously, he can run and he can pass a little bit, but he's really more of a specialist than anything. They're paying him a lot of money to be that specialist. I think I know Sean Payton seems to love the guy. Jamison, you know, Jameis is a quarterback. He is an NFL quarterback. He's uh, actually younger than Taysom, I'm pretty sure. So, but when, you know, Jameis got his shots this year, when he came in, he looked terrible. I mean, not like Rusty. He looked bad, almost threw a pass in the, uh, threw it almost over the, into the stands, I thought, at one time. So, uh, the whole free agency to me, I mean, I don't think the Saints had a great plan for Drew Brees retirement but i really don't think you can have a great you know you can't really there's not many far to aaron Rodgers situations usually you're you know you're suffering and that guy's losing look at the patriots after losing brady um by the way brady's getting a lot more credit than belichick right now i've noticed so that's been interesting but you know free agency is just weird i mean you see these teams you see you, you know, you see the Chicago Bears go and sign Andy Dalton. I mean, you've seen all this stuff. Teams, you know, possibly trading for Deshaun Watson. I, I mean, you can watch the free agent market. You can see the bad teams staying bad, almost like it's intentional. I mean, you see guys that just, you know, that you know, you see like, you know, and I don't know how deep you wanted to get in this, but if you watch the Patriots, 
the Patriots are trying to fill holes because their last few drafts has been terrible, especially at yeah. the I mean, they have been terrible, especially at the top. So they're trying to fill those holes. I mean, it's just a hard way to catch up. And I mean, there's, you know, between, uh, you know, the you know Tampa Bay Buccaneers have a good team coming back. And obviously the Chiefs have a good team coming back. So I think right out of the gate, that's who you're starting with trying to compete. And uh, the Saints are one of those teams that could compete there if they get the right quarterback, the right quarterback situation. And, hey, the, the one thing about the Saints is they know how to draft, and they draft really well. They've had a lot of success. So seeing the Saints possibly package something and move up wouldn't be unheard of. They did it with Mark Ingram. They did it as recently as Marcus Davenport. Uh, they did it to get the, uh, I believe, to get the Wisconsin offensive lineman at the end of the first round a few years ago. So they don't rule them out going, drafting, or trading to go up and draft their quarterback. Could they go up and get a Mac Jones, potentially? Yeah. At the quarterback position, they could, and they—I mean, there's there's people with those, there's teams like the Dolphins with a high pick, and maybe even the Eagles. Um, I don't know if they're necessarily, but if you're not taking a quarterback in those first five or six spots, you're a bona fide moron not to trade out. <laughs> I mean, the Dolphins exactly. are there with three, and I think Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle. I think they're all going to be really good NFL players. They're really good college players. You know how much I love Smitty and Waddle. But um, if they take a wide receiver at three, and when they could have traded that to a team looking to get uh, the you know Up the to three, yeah. yeah, you know Justin Fields. I think it's in you know pure insanity. I agree, absolutely, and um, interesting. You had a former Auburn quarterback. Uh, come in behind Tom Brady. That wasn't easy for Cam Newton. Still isn't easy. Yeah. Uh, and you may have a former Huey Town quarterback uh, moved on to Florida State and Jameis Winston attempting to follow in the big footprints of Drew Brees there uh, in New Orleans. We're going to step aside for a quick break here on a St. Patrick's Day edition of T. Watts and T.R., we're going to get into the 2011 Alabama football recruiting class coming up next. We'll also talk about some signees of particular interest where the start of spring practice is concerned on Friday at the University of Alabama. Got some early enrollees, Tim. Get some thoughts from you on those guys as they get ready to strap it on for the first time in their Crimson Tide careers We've got the Roundtable Mailbag coming up a little bit later in the program as well. We always appreciate the folks who contribute to that on the message board of choice for Alabama Crimson Tide fans everywhere. Of course, that's the Roundtable at BamaOnline.com. Back with more of the pod right after this. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. Back with more of T. Watts and T.R. Travis Ryer, site publisher. Tim Watts with you. And Tim, let's jump into this 2011 Alabama recruiting class. Uh, once again, a class that really started the onslaught of number one 
signing halls for Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide, seven straight to be exact. And when you look at this class, you had a mix of future first rounders. Uh, You had some important junior college pieces, especially where the defensive line was concerned. You had almost mythological figures, I guess you could say, in Deron Carter. I still haven't seen Deron Carter catch a pass at Alabama. And then sadly, there was the tragedy involving the passing of Aaron Douglas, who started his career at the University of Tennessee before actually joining up with Jesse Williams there at Arizona Western and bouncing to Alabama from there. But uh, five stars, that's kind of been the the theme for Alabama recruiting classes under Nick Saban. And you start right there at the top and we got to, we got to hear, we got to get more on Cyrus Quanjo because that was bizarre, Tim, as I recall, in terms of how that all went down, especially with his older brother already in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, I think, you know, I don't think that's as sexy as people want it to be. I think it was just a complete miscommunication. You know, I talked to the, the parents after the fact, I talked text with the dad when it happened. And he said, don't worry about this. I'll handle it. And <laughs> it's almost like I was a chief texting him to say Cyrus had a seat. He said, don't worry. I got it. Um, he said, this isn't a problem, but I really think, you know, Ari played a hand in this. You know, I talked to Ari. Ari thought he was a left tackle. Ari wanted to be close to his brother. Um, wanted to play left, left tackle. And I think that, sort of worked into Cyrus's head that you go to Auburn and be the left tackle. I'll be the left tackle at Alabama. I know there was some confusion there. I don't think the parents had any idea that Cyrus was going to commit to Auburn. And their reaction and what they told me definitely backed that up. But they had a confused look on their face. And once they talked, I think it was pretty simple. Those those are those are the kind of kids are going to do what their parents say, especially their dad. And uh, it was cleared up pretty quick. But it was one of the longest, oddest moments in recruiting i mean alabama's had some good ones with uh you know obviously the reuben foster recruitment and then the uh uh, lane and collins uh announcement was entertaining but that was one of the weirdest ones because it's basically a walk-off and it's sort of you know if i remember correctly i feel like cyrus knew from their reaction maybe i maybe we should have discussed this more because i think you know the dad just basically were saying it this it was a given that he was going to alabama they never talked about it so obviously the brothers, as brothers tend to do, you had brothers, I had bro- brothers, they, uh, you know, they had different thoughts or different, thought they had different thoughts uh, in that recruitment. couple of Alabama's highest rated recruits for that 2011 class, teammates from Central Florida there at Dr. Phillips High School in Orlando, HaHa Clinton Dix, a defensive back, became a Outstanding safety for the Crimson Tide. And by the way, Cyrus Quanjo, really good player in his own right, took over that starting left tackle position in 2012 and uh, before moving on to the National Football League a couple years later. But ha-ha Clinton Dix and D. Hart, that was a pretty dynamic one-two punch back in the day, Tim. Oh, absolutely. That was a big deal. You know, you know, we've said this a lot. The offensive coordinators at Alabama don't really recruit a lot. You don't hear a lot of names. I mean, obviously, they're busy. Um you know, with the offense and everything else, you just don't see him out and about much. Jim McElwain was that way, except McElwain had Clinton Dix. He had D. Hart. These were huge, you know, these were massive recruiting battles at the time with everybody wanting them. D was sort of that all-purpose, smaller running back type guy, top 100. But, ha-ha, you know, Clinton Dix was just a, you know, he was a next-level safety. And Alabama 
one of the first of those guys Alabama just kept rolling through where they, you know, signed him, hit the field, three and done, you know, first round pick, late, you know, late second round pick with their safety. But it was a huge deal. And to go into, you know, was it Edgewater, Orlando to get those guys was a big deal. In fact, D. Hart, as I recall, followed Jim McElwain out to Colorado State. Absolutely. Uh, when D transferred and had a big year, I think a 1,200 yard rushing season, 16 touchdowns. That was a that was a good move for D Hart, considering the running back situation. I mean, when you start considering how things unfolded at running back in the coming years with T.J. Yeldon, and then that just insane 2013 class, Tim. Yeah, and I think that big year also helped propel Jim uh, McElwain to the Florida job. Remember, he had a couple of Colorado mm-hmm. State teams that were really good. I remember watching those games. That's, that's one of the things I like to do, even with the Bama transfers. Look, D. Hart was a kid everybody liked. Everyone liked him. He was a good kid. He had a rough, you know, rough upbringing. Not, you know, not, it's not, a, wasn't ideal. So a lot of people rallied around him. I know the Alabama staff, Saban in particular, liked him. And so when he left, I mean, there was, there was no bad blood. And obviously Alabama as you said, had a stacked running back room. But, yeah, he goes over to Colorado State, does really well. I don't know where he's at now. I know he was, at one point he was in the NFL, but I think it was just maybe uh, – I don't know if it's just preseason or a practice squad. I know he didn't quite make a team. If he did, it was just for one year. But uh, really had a good year at Colorado State. Speed guy, really fast. You know, you know, again, one of those all-purpose backs. Probably would have been a little bit better used today than he was then by any college where, you know, they're getting them out in space, line them up in the slot. Good player. Trey DePriest, a five-star linebacker from Springfield, Ohio. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but there was a tie between Trey DePriest and I want to say uh, Vinny Sanceri oh, going back to their high school days, right? Yeah, absolutely. They were sort of hooked at the hip, you know, and uh, Vinny moved to Tuscaloosa his senior year. But when you talk to Trey – he talked about Benny. When you talked to Benny, who was a little more quiet, he talked to Trey. So, obviously, Sal's son was a big deal. You know, we like, you know, Benny's ends up in this class. Trey was a bigger deal from a ranking standpoint. But you and I and others discussed what a good athlete Benny Sinceri was. He was a legitimate athlete, and he was, he was nasty. He was a mean, you know, had that Jersey vibe to him. You know what I mean? He had that, that roughness in that area. We saw him have a good career. But they were definitely connected. Of course, Sal Sinceri recruited them both. A four-star outside linebacker from the state of Georgia went on to have a really solid career at Alabama. Probably a guy who isn't talked about enough in the realm of his position in the Nick Saban era. Xavier Dixon from Griffin, Georgia, 2014. Xavier Dixon actually led the Crimson Tide in sacks. So uh, at the time, a, a really highly regarded state of Georgia prospect. Once again, the Crimson Tide able to go over to Georgia and get a good one in Xavier Dixon. Yeah, that's a big guy. When you looked at him, you just knew he'd end up, you know, didn't didn't quite work out that way. But you just felt looking at his high school film, his video, he had a chance to end up in the NFL. I think he bounced around for a while. Did he play? Was he one of those guys that played for that, was going to play for that Birmingham team with Trent and them? Yes, I believe you're correct on that. Yeah. The Birmingham Iron. Is it? Yes, the Birmingham Iron. Yes, that was a. That was a group. You looked at him. He's a big guy. He can make plays. Again, you know, Alabama was doing a good job. They continue to do really good job over there in Georgia. You know, Kirby Smart had ties there. Jeremy Pruitt always had ties there. There's been a lot of assistance to have 
connections to the state of Georgia. Obviously, it's not a short ride, but Alabama, Georgia's been very fruitful for Alabama. Uh, Marvin Shin, four-star wide receiver out of Mobile, ended up at USA, another one of those 6'3 receivers. Uh, Alabama trying to continue to mine, of course, not only Mobile, but Viger, a program that you certainly want to be involved with. And then back into the mid-Atlantic area for Jeffrey Pagan. I recall Jeffrey Pagan at the time. Uh, that was a that was an impressive pickup. And again, one uh, kind of outside the footprint for then, at least, where Alabama recruiting was concerned, going into the Asheville, North Carolina area for Jeffrey Pagan. Yeah, he played on a couple of national championship teams. Again, when you get those guys, those big guys on that defensive line, um, sort of almost that hybrid jack. You know, you want him to be Jadavian Clowney. Some of them, you know, it's hard to put on that weight and um, keep that speed and athleticism they had. But Pagan was that guy. And again, he was, a, you know, when you look back at it, him and Xavier were two guys I think everybody was super excited about. Uh, pretty highly recruited guy, played on two national championships. And again, really hadn't went into North Carolina that much. And uh, he was one of the first guys. I'm sure there were others, but he's one of the first guys I was thinking really pulled a good player out of that area. So we continue to move down the list here and you get into a situation. Brent Callaway was a highly regarded in-state prospect at the time. Uh, unfortunately, a couple of guys in this class, Callaway and DJ Petway, uh, defensive end from Pensacola Catholic, uh, got caught up in a, a situation off the field that resulted in them initially uh, leaving the program. Callaway didn't return, but Petway did. Petway was a really good story at the time because um, you know there were four Alabama players involved in that situation. Uh, three of them we we didn't hear from again here uh, at Alabama, but Petway managed to go sort of the junior college route, work his way back, and then by the end of his career was a, a really strong contributor to the, to the Alabama program. Yeah. And I think with Petway getting in trouble, I mean, you know, kids do stupid, stupid stuff. Um, obviously that was a, that was a, a dumb move, but I think a lot of people were shocked that DJ was involved in it. You know, I don't think that anyone really saw that coming, didn't really have that reputation. Callaway was that he, he was one of those wild recruitments, you know, back and forth and, you know, Alabama, Auburn and back and forth. So that was a that was a mess already. Um, but Petway getting caught up in that, I think, surprised a lot of people. I think it's surprising. It's him straightening it out and getting it, you know, you know, figuring it out, and getting back. And I think Callaway went Juco and Petway went Juco as well. Uh, never saw Petway or Callaway again, but Petway came back. I don't I think people the guy that rehabilitated and fixed his image. I think that's the guy most people expected him uh, to be, and I think that's the guy he's probably probably is. Yeah, he ended up being a a real success story uh, coming out of that situation. Bradley Silve, five uh, eleven, one hundred seventy five pound wide receiver uh, coming out of high school. He ended up at the corner position for Alabama. When I think of Bradley Silve, I think speed. The guy could just flat out blaze, and uh, a guy who manages managed to stick around in professional football despite the fact that he never really was uh, kind of an extended starter for Alabama. What I do recall about Bradley Silve is the 2014 Iron Bowl in which it was just a track meet. I think it was 55-44. Alabama ended up winning that game here in Tuscaloosa. 
And Alabama's corners had nothing for Duke Williams and those uh, those Auburn wide receivers uh, in that one. But Silv came in and actually played some good football off the bench. I'll recall that for quite some time. Uh, Bradley Silv, again, eventually a full-time corner. And we talked about Jesse Williams earlier. That was a, that was a very unique story uh, you know, from Australia and, you know, his background and, you know, the path he took to Alabama just to get there. And then uh, the contribution that he, that he made once he was, was in Tuscaloosa. I, fourth down stop against Georgia, I think it was in the 2012 SEC championship game in Atlanta. Jesse Williams was playing hurt, as I recall too. And, just a guy who, who was exactly what Alabama needed him to be when they needed him to be it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Charles Powers' brother, I believe, played junior college ball with him or knew him. Really? Uh, knew him. He, I know Charles knew him really well. I know the brother knew him really well. I feel like one of his brothers, you know, had two, Charles had two brothers who played in uh, college football. And Jesse was a legend because Charles was already telling me all these stories before he got here. But yeah, big guy, unique personality. Everyone liked him. You know, you would have thought he'd have did better. Sort of that, he's almost that nose guard type. Uh, I think he's back at home in Australia too, training or something, if I recall correctly. But you sort of thought, I mean, he spent three years with the Seahawks. You would have thought he'd have been a better defensive lineman because he was big, he was strong, he was active, but he was injured. He was all, he was, he was, he was often injured. Um, you know, and I think that's probably what held him back the most. He was a big run stuffer. I can tell you that, though. Overcame cancer, as I recall. Uh, once he got to the National Football League, it was with the Seattle Seahawks, I believe. Absolutely. I used to watch him every week just to see if Jesse would play. So, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's doing well running. A, I, I want to say, I mean, I could be wrong, but I think Charles said he's training people now, which isn't a surprise. But a guy that was injured a lot and, uh, you know, didn't have the NFL career, but was a heck of a college player for Alabama. Uh, another South Alabama product and a legacy at that. And Danny Woodson uh, made his way to Tuscaloosa and like another mobile wide receiver in that class, Marvin Shin, Danny Woodson ultimately landed at the University of South Alabama. You also had Malcolm Fashan, a guy who, as I recall, you looked at Malcolm Fashan at 6'6", 260 or so on the practice field and thought, this is an NFL tight end waiting to happen. It just never really happened for Malcolm Fashan before he left the program. Corey Grant, you know, this is interesting with this class at the running back position because between D. Hart and Corey Grant, you didn't exactly have uh, a Trent Richardson or – you know, uh, you know, a bigger back. I mean, both of these guys were smaller backs. And I would say in both instances, D Hart transferred out to Colorado state, Corey Grant ended up at Auburn. I, I think that was to the benefit of both those guys, given the situation that they were in at Alabama. Yeah. I think, uh, Corey, I know he played a few years in the NFL. I don't know if he's played for the Jags. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, you could see that it was kind of weird. You didn't have kids really. I mean, he was from Opelika, which is basically Auburn. Went to Alabama, then transferred to Auburn. I think everybody understood. Again, Corey was a good kid. I don't remember a lot of fuss about that. Usually you would hear a lot of, uh, you know, hooting and hollering about a kid transferring like that, especially in that in that situation. But, yeah, definitely good moves for both of them. I couldn't fault them. Well, Michael Fanning, 
again, another guy physically, 6'6", 285, uh, bounced to Jacksonville State when it was all said and done. I guess the lasting memory of LaMichael Fanning, Tim, would be Missouri in 2012 in a blowout. He absolutely uh, suplexed. <laughs> a Missouri running back. I'm not sure if you remember that, but it looked like WWE come to life on the football field. That's my favorite. That's it. LaMichael's my favorite 80s wrestler. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I mean, I, yeah, I remember that. I know he transferred. I'm looking it up now. Led the team in uh, sacks and tackles for loss as a senior. Uh, started 10 games. First team all OVC. But again, yeah. again that you looked at and there's a lot of guys a lot of eye candy a lot of guys that look the part in this class big guys you know talk about tight end and a couple outside linebacker defensive linemen he was another one that you know this class I mean it's a great class I mean we're still going to get to some guys it was a great class but again it's like every other class we cover it's got the high stars it's got the what could have beens and then it's got guys that probably weren't appreciated enough absolutely that's why it's fun to revisit kind of Go back through the – it's like a scrapbook almost that we're able to sort back through. A guy who did work out was Ryan Kelly coming out of the state of Ohio like Trey DePriest. Four-star center in the 2011 class. And as you would expect, and this is applicable to some guys we've seen Alabama sign at the position of late, Tim. Seth McLaughlin, uh, whether you're talking about James Brockermeyer. Uh, Ryan Kelly was like 260 pounds when he got to Alabama. And by the time he left, he was a first-round pick of the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, and he's a great one. I mean, that's a guy that's Absolutely. doing a lot of good work in the NFL, um, going to get paid to. Uh, you know, the, you're right. Those offensive linemen, if they're not – look, if they're not a left tackle, they can drift down the board. We've seen that with Dallas Warren, Matt Ryan Kelly. There's been a many others we've seen. So that sexy position is that offensive tackle. These other guys have to develop, come in a little bit leaner. And, hey, there's a lot – of of people that now think it's easier to put that weight on them than it is to take instead of get a 330 guy making 305 to take a 260 270 making 305 and i'll bet you uh ray and blue would be two of those guys that think they can put weight on people and keep it functional and keep them their athleticism now he wasn't ranked super high he was a four-star but i know sal sanceri absolutely loved the guy and he was the main recruiter uh that's three from ohio right counting benny so yeah, yes. if you include Vinny in there, that's three. Yeah, include Vinny. He was, I mean, he he transferred to be closer to dad uh, to Tuscaloosa senior year, but he definitely was, you know, was a high Ohio kid at the time when he committed. So you had those three guys, and like I said, that Bama staff, they knew what they had. They really liked Ryan Kelly. They thought he had a big upside, and he, you know, obviously he turned into exactly what they wanted to. You talk about one-two punches at the guard center positions in the NFL right now. Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly. Nasty. Uh, absolutely. That's, that's yeah. It's about as good as it gets. Absolutely. And this next guy, Aaron Douglas, I mean, you're talking about one of the the weirdest stories, you know. I mean, weirdest. Sad, yeah. Freshman, I think he was at Tennessee Legacy. He was a freshman All-American. He quit to, to, to deal with his music interest and then decided to go back, went to college, was a college All-American, committed to Alabama, Tennessee's big rival. So you know that was a big double whammy. And then, you know, tragically died. You know, I think he was on spring break, wasn't it? About this time. I it think. was, yeah, it was, he had gone through spring practice at right. Alabama. I feel like it was their break. As a, as a mid, 
yeah, as a mid-year enrollee, and it was actually, I think, the interim break in May between the end of the the spring semester and when they were going to come back at the end of May, early June, and go back to work. And he was in Northeast Florida and sadly uh, overdosed and passed away. So just a really tragic situation involving Aaron Douglas. And that, that 2011 team, they wore the 77 stickers on the on the back of their helmet to commemorate uh, pay tribute to Aaron Douglas. Thing about this guy, like I spoke to him twice, and he—I could see—I I imagine everybody loved him. He was a—he really was a free spirit. I mean, he was—he sounded a lot like a, like you'd see a hippie from the '70s. He was like, you know, man, I just like to do my thing. And when it, you know, you know, when when I felt it was time to play football again, when everything lined up, I came back, and you know, he was a musician and all that. So when I talked to him, he was a really nice guy. So I imagine his teammates really liked him, but obviously. Uh, a tragic, you know, and he was like the number one junior college player in the country. And then they had, you know, Quentin Dial right after him coming back on the defensive line. And those were, those were neat areas. No doubt. And they had hoped that Aaron Douglas would backfill for a previous junior college transfer starter at left tackle in James Carpenter. And when that didn't work out for obvious reasons, that's when you saw Barrett Jones jump over to left tackle for that 2011 season. Quentin Dial, you mentioned uh, a bounce back, uh, kind of a sign in place, uh, didn't qualify initially, went over to East Mississippi, Scuba Tech there in Scuba, Mississippi. And Quentin Dial, a couple of really solid years. And as we talked about here not too long ago on the podcast, a few years in the National Football League, as I recall, mostly with the, I believe, San Francisco 49ers. I remember meeting Quentin, going out there and meeting his dad, watching him practice. His dad wasn't a huge guy. Obviously, Quentin was massive, six, 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 three hundred pounds. And he says, "Man, he gets the size for my sister. He looks just like her." I was like, "Holy crap!" <laughs> you know, Quentin, you know, again was was just one of those massive guys. But yeah, a guy that came in, and those guys that are really important to Alabama on defense, who give you snaps who crowd up that line, who let those linebackers run, good kid. And again, again, anybody who goes to junior college anywhere and then bounces back gets a lot of accolades for me, but especially Mississippi where there's a lot of pitfalls and a lot of stuff. We see those guys go there and, you know, we never hear from them again. So, you know, hats off to him for, you know, going in and doing what he had to do. Absolutely. And then we move into, uh, Jabril Washington and Christian Jones, a couple of similar type prospects coming out of high school. Uh, Washington considered more of an athlete, uh, ended up in the defensive secondary for Alabama, played multiple roles as more of a reserve and special teamer. And then Christian Jones was considered a more of a corner coming out of uh, minor high school over in Adamsville, but uh, turned out to be a really nice playmaker on the offensive side of the ball, but more so in the kick return game. I remember still the kickoff game uh, over in Atlanta against Virginia Tech. Uh, he had the punt return and I believe kickoff return in the same game for a score against the Hokies. I was there live with Heather. That was a good game. And yeah, that's what he did. Uh, I thought he would be a defensive back. Jabril, I was never as high on as other people. He was a small framed guy. Um, I mean, you even see him listed at 165 in high school back then. So, you know, he's probably a little lighter than that. So, him, I was never really exactly sure. Well, Christian, though, Christian could do that both ways, and obviously the special teams. He had a little knack for finding a seam, and you know, people people kept kicking to him, 
and he kept punishing them. Absolutely. Uh, one of the all-timers when you talk about the kick return aspect of, of, of what he brought to the table. Isaac Luatua, an offensive guard, more of a reserve throughout his career uh, at the University of Alabama. Uh, Philip Ely at the quarterback position coming from Tampa, Florida, playing high school, spent a couple of years at Alabama, ended up at the University of Toledo where he was an effective starter up there in the MAC. Quarterbacked a couple of bowl teams and did a nice job. Yeah, and uh, you know Ronald Carswell is Carswell is another one who transferred. Had real. I don't know his stats. Went JUCO, I believe, and ended up at uh, West Virginia. I don't know his stats, but I know when I watched him, he had several big plays. How about Vinny? You talk about guys. We're looking right here at the the bottom of this class in terms of player rankings. And there's Vinny Sunseri considered more of a linebacker, I guess at the high school level. But when you thought about how he would transition into what Alabama likes to do, I really thought the money position in the dime made a lot of sense for him because it is sort of a hybrid linebacker position in the six defensive backs. Look, but this is a guy who played safety. This is a guy who played star. It's a guy who held, on the field goal team. So uh, had the knee injury. It really sort of um, unfortunately served as, as much of a, uh, a period on his career before he made the move or attempted jump to the National Football League. But uh, I think Vinny was, was better or uh, over, not overachieved because I think he was talented, but outperformed, I guess you could say, his, his initial ranking. Yeah, and, you know, we talk about kids that are mature for their age. Vinny was absurdly mature. I mean, it was – it was you could see that possibly the future coach come. It's not a surprise with, you know, with South Sinceri, you know, being his father. His brother Tino's at Alabama. He's a – he's a – was a former player and, a, you know, up and rising coach. So you could see it with Vinny, very mature, enrolled early. If you remember some of those first uh, early enrollee interviews, Vinny came off as a fifth-year senior. You remember we had filmed those, and you'd see Vinny talking. He just had a polished nature to him. Had that weird situation where his dad had left to go to FSU, right? And he was still at Alabama. Isn't that – I think Sal was at Florida State. He he was either – he was at either at Florida State or – you know, Sal had the one year as a defensive coordinator at Tennessee, too. Almost positive Um, Sal went to Tennessee and then went to FSU – because there was talk, remember, when he went pro that he was going to grad transfer to uh, Florida State instead of go pro. Remember all that talk? Yeah, yeah, yeah. South at FSU, and Pruitt was at FSU, so it seemed like a no-brainer. So a little bit of surprise when he went pro, but I think um, sometimes when you got to go, you got to go. And I think Vinny was ready to <laughs> ready to test the waters. He's with the New England Patriots now. Again, not a surprise. Not even thirty years old, so it wouldn't. It, it's not going to be shocking to see him rising up the coaching ranking. No, quickly, quickly for Vinny Sunseri. Of course, his brother Tino has been a part of the Alabama staff from a support perspective for a couple of years now. Yes, TikTok on Twitter. He gets the Alabama fans fired up when he does that, Tim. He gets them. He gets them going though. So yeah, that's Sunseri <laughs> fan. He's very original, um, all big personality. So yeah, big year for fun Cal- family. Yeah, mm-hmm. a big year for and Sari too. Nice year in the state of Ohio alone. Deron Carter, Tim. Um, son of Chris Carter, obviously. Uh, started out at Ohio State. 
bounces around and ends up at at Alabama. Um, I think it was it may have been a year later than this actually, but uh, we'll go ahead and talk about Duran a little bit. Six four, two hundred pounds. Came from a great high school program down there at St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, where you're talking about Dallas Turner uh, most recently, I guess, coming up from. And uh, a guy that, uh, last I recall, Deron Carter was in the CFL and doing some big things. But you t- we talk about what could have been's or would have been's or might have been's. Uh, that was Deron Carter. I, he was one of those guys that we never saw playing a game for Alabama that would be top five all time in terms of guys you got asked about just in his yep. short time at Alabama where practice was concerned. I felt like we never saw him play at Alabama, but everybody else did. <laughs> you know, they were always telling me how good he was. I was like, what are y'all? Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, he played, I think he started every game as a freshman at Ohio. Well, he played yeah. every, uh, as a freshman at Ohio state and did, you know, put up freshman numbers, probably similar to someone like Smitty. And then, you know, just for him, it was just the academics, you know, he just could not, when you look at his bio, you look at, you know, ineligible for the Rose Bowl his freshman year. So obviously not going to class. Um, junior college went through there. Um, uh, ended up at Alabama. Academics got him again. Went to Florida Atlantic. But, yeah, I mean, we've seen him. Every now and then there's a tweet. And, of course, there wasn't a season last year. But you would see Duran do some really special things in the Canadian Football League. Uh, you can see, obviously, had talent. And again, yeah, you're right. I mean, we've seen this a few times with guys that we thought were, you know, Fred Rouse jumps to mind from someone I covered in recruiting with, uh, you know, just just never quite lived up to the billing. And you're not why. I mean, I'm glad to see Duran still playing, but really would really would have been interesting to see him with one year, wherever it would have been in college, one year focused as an upperclassman, as a junior would have been really interesting because I think he probably was a pretty big difference maker. Guys you expect to see in the very near future at the University of Alabama in the form of early enrollees for the 2021 recruiting class. This Friday, Tim, Alabama takes to the practice field for its first spring practice since 2019. No spring football last year at the Capstone. So J.C. Latham, the Brockermeyer brothers, Tommy and James, Jaquincy McKinstry, Three wide receiver signees, Ja'Cory Brooks, Ajay Hall, Christian Leary. You got Deontay Lawson at the linebacker position. Terrence Ferguson, another offensive lineman that you shouldn't sleep on early in his career. Jalen Milrow comes in to fill out that quarterback room. Michael Goodwine from the DMV jumps into the DL mix. Ian Jackson along with Deontay Lawson at linebacker and then a couple of tight ends. Uh, and a guy you really liked and have talked about for a long time, and Robbie Oots, and then Caden Clark, sort of a deferred enrollment after a knee injury uh, a couple of years ago. He's making his way into the program. Uh, Tim, when we when we consider the the possibilities of immediate impact from some of these guys, are you thinking more the offensive side of the ball, or there's some guys on defense that you think are look. They're just too talented. They're too good. They're 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 going to be ready to play early, even on defense. You know, I think this is that rare case where not only are your highest ranked, you know, you got the guys that are the highest ranked, but they're also at the at the must need positions where they compete. You got compete. You got Latham and Brockermeyer, five star offensive tackles. Obviously, there's some places there for them to play. 
McKen Streaks coming in as a five-star defensive back, been there early, and Ja'Cory Brooks is coming in as a five-star wide receiver. Those are four, those are three areas that you can compete and get on the field as a true freshman. And these guys can do it. I mean, there's all a very business-like approach to them. Um, especially when you look at Brooks and Brockermeyer. I think those guys are strictly business. Latham, you know, he's that dancing bear category, and McKinstry's a little bit looser, but huge upsides from those guys. You know, McKinstry's been there playing a little basketball, practicing with the team. And the biggest thing for these guys is they are acclimated. They have went through, they have seen all the girls they've never seen before. They've learned where the campus layout is, or, you know, hopefully they know how to get to the weight room and, the mess hall, like a few good men, the great movie. They figured everything out by, you know, the campus. The new guys will have to come in and do that. But as far as guys coming into play, the highest ranked guys probably have the best chance. I mean, you can't sleep on Aggie Hall, who I love physically. I think physically he might be the best of these wide receivers, probably a little bit rawer than the rest. And, the, you know, obviously a guy we, we both really love is Deontay Lawson. Um, I think he's coming in with the intentions of trying to get on that field, whether it be special teams, same for Keanu Coat. Those are guys that are willing to cut their teeth and do the little things to get on the field. And if with the biggest thing for me, I really wanted to see this year, I really want to see the reps with Jalen Milrow and Paul Tyson and uh, Brock. I really want to see them rep. I want to see plays, them throwing two receivers. I want to see it because I think all three of those guys – you know, missing spring, obviously Jalen wasn't there, but missing spring last year, having a chance to throw the football is going to be huge. You said it. I mean, you look at where Alabama needs help, offensive tackle. Well, there's Latham and Tommy Brockermeyer. Uh, they have a vacancy at corner even. Well, there's Jaquincy McKinstry. They have opportunities, more opportunities at wide receiver than they've had in four or five years at least. And there's Brooks, there's Hall. And there's Leary. So it does match up in terms of these early enrollees and the opportunities they're going to have in front of them starting Friday over there off Bryant Drive. Hey, go go ahead. I just realized this looking in the database. If you had to choose the early enrollee class or the guys that are coming in later, you only get one of these two sides. Compare these two sides and decide which side you would take. You can answer next week, but look at the talent from the guys who haven't enrolled. Terry yeah. and Joe Earl, Payne, Turner, versus the guys already enrolled. That's a, that's about as even balance of a split as you'll ever see, in my opinion. So, hold that uh, yeah, up it is. your answer next week. Yeah, you're right. It, you know, we, we like to get excited, and, and you should, because you're going to get this first glimpse or this first word of these early enrollees. But as we've seen just as recent as the 2020 team. You don't have to be an early enrollee to be an impact guy. Just look at Malachi Moore, look at Brian Branch, um, you know, look at Minka Fitzpatrick going back to 2015. It's not a uh, be all end all, but it it doesn't hurt. There's no doubt about that for a lot of the reasons. Split here with 14 enrolled, 13 not enrolled. And the amount of talent on each side is really impressive. So I just, it never jumped out to me. So, yeah, it does. I mean, you're right. I mean, you're talking three five stars that are coming on campus in the summer. Kyrie, Dallas Turner, Damon Payne, Kamar Wheat. And Kyrie Jackson sitting down there at the very, very bottom. <laughs> we'll talk about him later. All right, moving on. Yeah, let's get into the uh, the roundtable portion 
of the program, the mailbag there on the roundtable. And as an extension of that, in association with that, uh, we're going to find out exactly how Irish we are, Tim, today on St. Patrick's Day. Irish movies, uh, either themed or just even a scene or kind of the feel of the movie. And I think a lot of times we end up, whether it's even Irish or related or not, we turn it into Boston movies. <laughs> so uh, yeah. give me a couple, couple of the top Irish themed movies for Tim Watts. When you text me that, the first thought was Gangs of New York with Bill the Butcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were Irish, right? Anything with Daniel Day-Lewis, okay, in the name of the father, the boxer, Gangs of New York, just Daniel Day-Lewis in general when that, it comes that, to the Irish movies. That had a great Irish feel to it. You know, obviously it's a great movie from every – and then, you know, one of my favorite movies is The Boondock Saints. Um, okay. It's got the two brothers. I don't know if you've seen it. They're uh, they're like hitmen. Uh, it's, it's sort of a low-budget cult-type film. With two brothers, very Irish, Irish American, um, and very rough. I think the dude isn't that the dude. I think it is. I can't remember. It's the guy from. Uh, uh, let me look it up. Yes, it's the guy from uh, the zombie killer, Walking Dead. One of the brothers, right. brothers is Norman Reedus, who is a uh, uh, the lead, one of the leads in the Walking Dead. He's a guy with the bow and arrow. But those are two that instantly jumped out to mind to me. Irish Boston related flicks that departed. I mean, you're going to go there That's with that one. Goodwill hunting. I mean, come on. How yeah. can you not think Boston Irish type deal there? You know, one that I've often erroneously associated with Irish is the parade in Ferris Bueller's day off where Ferris does the, you know, but of course that's not an Irish song he's singing. That's actually Von Steuben Day, which is a German-American celebration. So I, I had to research that to sort of correct myself. What about Irish music? Is it House of Pain, Tim, when it comes to the Irish music for you? You know, I'm not the best at knowing. Like, I'll know if they're <laughs> like, like from the U.K. <clears throat> I don't necessarily know if they're Scottish or Irish or English. And I'm the same with Asia. I, I don't really know if they're for the money. And I love Korea. You know how much I love Korean movies and baseball. I don't really necessarily know if they're Korean or, or Chinese or whatever. So I will mix up of <laughs> uh, 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 genres when it comes to that. Um, I thought that was a St. Patrick's Day parade in Ferris Bueller as well. I did too. And I had to go back and uh, yeah, yeah, I had just, to check on that. I tell you, you what, know, the, re- the research we do for the show, Tim, you know, it, it's pretty extensive. Last minutes. It takes. It, <laughs> I think another one since for Daniel Day Lewis, I love, and I know his wife was was Irish, was the boxer when he's like that freelance boxer. Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, and he had that a really Irish wife, and she was fantastic. So when you said that, I had to like say, are they Irish? Are they Scottish? Are they English? Mm-hmm. I really, mm-hmm. I'm not sure there's a physically enough for my ear to really tell the the uh, accents well enough. The Irish music, I mean, you 2 Thin Lizzy, Cranberries for me, Boomtown Rats. House of Pain, those guys aren't from Ireland, but that was their thing. That was their stick. Hey, what about the guys you know? that danced on the thing where they kicked their heels and they, uh, were they uh, Irish? Oh, gosh. An Irish jig is certainly Irish. No, if you know, there's like a whole group that traveled. Yeah, it was. I can't think of the name of it. We'll, we'll, we'll circle back. Okay. 
Irish food, corned beef and cabbage. Not a big cabbage guy, Tim. Uh, shepherd's pie. The wife has done a great the Guinness beef stew with the actual Guinness stout in the beef stew. Bangers at mash. I think more Britain, you know, England when I think bangers and mash, but I guess it has carryover to Ireland. You a big mint guy, Tim? Mint, the flavor? Uh, yeah, I think it, I'm, I like to mix it with chocolate, though. <laughs> I don't just yeah. go supplement. Shepherd's pies, I mean, when you know that, there's a place, and you might have been in Destin, called uh, the Irish Pub. Have you ever been there? I don't think I've been to that one. That's 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 fantastic. And they have every they have a daily lunch uh, special. And one day it'll be shepherd's pie. My oldest son Bryson loves it. Heather makes a good one. It's one of those places you walk in and they've got dollar bills. People have been donating dollar bills. They're all over the walls. They're hanging up. It's complete Irish. You know that they have a souvenir shop's completely Irish, but it's fantastic. And it has a daily. Uh, lunch special and it's something from the iris that you would probably love i bet i would i'll have to try that the next time i'm down there down there it's one of our uh it's uh one of our favorite stops now even though we're at the beach and we're usually particular about that we you know you don't eat so much seafood it's called irish uh drinks i'm not a big drinker called mcguire's uh irish pub in fact if you ever want to check it out I want to check that out. Tim, not a big drinker, so uh, not much on the Irish car bombs, I wouldn't think. Maybe a Bailey's with a shot of JMO into a Guinness. Definitely had one. <laughs> you remember it. If you had an Irish car bomb, yeah, it, you, you can recall the moment pretty much. Had Irish had Irish coffee, which was which will kick Bailey's. you good in New yeah, Orleans. that's good stuff. I like a little Bailey's in the coffee. That's not a bad <laughs> thing. Yeah. Fish and chips. We didn't even touch on fish and chips. That's yeah, happened. yeah. I, I guess I, I think more England with fish and chips, but yeah, I think it has carryover. Yeah, kind of like kind of like bangers and mash, I guess. Yeah. Uh, the color green. Do we like the color green? I'll tell you, I like the color green in a lot of sports uniforms. I like the Oakland A's uniforms. I like the old Seattle Supersonics, the Boston Celtics with the Kelly green. That's iconic. Um, I'm not much on the Oregon sort of inclusion of how they go about the green. It's okay. But, uh, the color green, Tim, I like green, but I like it on other people. Like I don't really wear green. I never wear orange. You don't catch me in red too much either. Just cause I don't, I don't really look that great. I feel it's not my color, but I like the color green, you know, seeing it on other people, girls mm-hmm. pull it off better than men, obviously. Um, so, I mean, I can go either way. I mean, that neon green that's got so popular, I'm not a huge fan of, unless you're trying not to get run over while you train for your marathon. But other than that, you know, I guess I'm on the fence with green. I like it on St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, I mean, you got to wear it on St. Patrick's Day or you get pinched, right? That's kind of the deal. You know, hey, one, uh, let's, one of the things about Irish that was kind of funny is when we were in Italy – they would have like bangers and mash and beans and stuff for breakfast. It would blow my mind on the buffets they had. But it was when we finally <laughs> asked, it's like for the UK people to come over, they're eating those baked beans for breakfast. Oh, um, wow. I don't really well, have a problem with that. Yeah, well, I eat, I'll eat pizza. Beanie, so, you know. It was beanie weenies basically in America. So, hmm. you like the Irish people. And it's called Travis, it's called River Dance. Okay. You All right, I get you. They had those people's. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not as I'm not as I'm not as up on it. 
not well, as up on it, Tim. I can't river dance. I'm just familiar with what. Well, I just remember being in one of those like fifth grade programs when I was a kid, and they made us dance. You know, we had to do these like uh, uh, tandem dances in our class on the stage in the auditorium, and I just kind of emotionally scarred by having to do an Irish jig and a Mexican hat dance back in the fifth grade. That's, it, a, that's something that's I'm still dealing with. That's a wide variety. I mean, yeah. yeah I'm trying to work through that still. Trap Travolta could pull both those dances off. Back <laughs> back. Trap Travolta. Yeah. There you uh, go. Dance is a theatrical show consisted mainly of traditional <laughs> Irish music and dance. There you go. Don't do you it. You got it. You can Google it. <laughs> I'll need a new co-host next Wednesday. Oh, no. This tournament. I got four left feet. Um, third and Golding in the, in the round table mailbag. Uh, all he wants to know, Tim, are who are the next five to commit can be a mixture of football and basketball. And uh, he, want, he wants an upset pick for the uh, NCAA tournament. You know, I've looked at this tournament. I don't have a great feel for it. I feel like there's so much happening. I'll tell you a team that's a little bit dangerous to me that I've been watching more and more of the last, the second half of the season is this Rutgers team. They were really good early on, were ranked really high, hit a wall, and then have closed out pretty well. So I think there's a da- they're a dangerous team to watch. You know what I mean? It's almost like upsets are so popular are, are, are happens so often in the NCAA tournament. There aren't. I don't see the high seeds really losing. I know I've seen a lot of. I don't know why Alabama. Why I got Alabama, one for you. Why do Alabama? I got one. Go ahead. I got LSU over Michigan in the second round hmm. in the, that East region. How about I'd, that? That'd be a doozy, dude. If Alabama and LSU play a fourth time, I give up. Yeah, they're gonna they, they're gonna end up they're gonna end up playing in the regional final. Have they any team ever played four times in the regular season? I find it hard to believe. Oh, wow. I mean, did St. John's, Georgetown, and you know, Villanova back in was eighty five when they were finally Yeah, in the in the in the eighties when the Big East was That's the, the closest maybe was then the big they, deal. Because they could have mm-hmm. played the tournament, they could have in the uh their uh their own tournament, they could have played in the NCAA tournament in the regular season. You know what I meant to what I was saying earlier is like why do Alabama fans, when they get news, associate it with the worst moment in <laughs> history? Iona is not. They're fatalist when it comes to hoops. They're fatalist. I mean, yeah, Iona, they're like, oh, hell no, Providence, 87. <laughs> it's gone. Yeah, because you know Iona's guards are going to be as good as Billy Donovan and Delray Brooks. I mean, of course they are, right? Sure. Yes, and you know, it's like. You, you bet. You know, it's funny because I, you know, I love those guys and those those girls on the round table. But there's the ones that like, <clears throat> hey, Alabama's getting a commitment Friday. You know, Emmanuel Sanders Henderson's deciding Friday. Oh hell no, nah. Eric Gilbert, we lost one. <clears throat> Every time there's an announcement, it's got an Eric Gilbert feel to some, and it just it 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 it, it, it makes me laugh and it makes me scratch my head at the same time. JPW437 in the roundtable mailbag. He wants to know our favorite Cinderella teams from old NCAA tournaments. He says his favorite is George Mason from 2006. I think you kind of hit on one of my favorites. Uh, Both of my favorites are from the 80s because I'm old like that. But NC State, 
winning the national championship under Jim Balvano, beating just a hellacious Houston team, Phi Slamma Jamma, Akeem Olajuwon, Clyde Drexler, those guys. And then Villanova a couple years later, uh, beating Georgetown and Lexington. What about you, Tim? Yeah, I don't know how much Villanova really was an underdog. To me, they were. I didn't really follow point spread and stuff. I love that team because I had a friend and we, they remember they played in Birmingham. They played in a region with Auburn, Maryland, uh, North Carolina, and obviously Villanova. Well, my friend's mom worked at that hotel, so we actually were going over there and hanging out with the Villanova players during during that weekend after practice and stuff. In fact, after they won that game, now we were one that you got to remember. I mean, you know how the tournament works. Every ticket at the BJCC was basically a North Carolina fan. So when North Carolina got beat in that first game, those tickets were well, no, I guess North Carolina been that second game. But after Auburn, no, it was Auburn. Auburn got beat. Maryland got beat. We had upper deck, you know, first night we had nosebleeds. And second night I was sitting on the bench, you know, telling Raleigh. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 Get it after, to Ed Pinckney. Yeah. Yes. Hey, shoot. Yeah, no, give it to that guy right there. Let him shoot. So we had those guys and we met them. And after that game, when they won, we walked across from the BJCC uh, as we we're leaving and watching and sort of soaking it all in. When we left, they were leaving. They were walking back to their hotel, which was right by it. So great team. Talked to every one of those players. Raleigh uh, was just an unbelievable coach. You know, Dean Smith, you know, he was one of the nicest guys, even in defeat. We met him. But, yeah, Villanova, and I rooted hard for him. And that was a, that was definitely a Cinderella team because I did not think anybody could beat that Georgetown team. Yeah, uh, you know, I guess if we're talking about true mid-majors or below – um. Yeah, George Mason would be up there. I I would go recent with Loyola Chicago and Sister Jean. I mean, she's going to be at March Madness again this year with the Ramblers. One hundred and one years old, Sister yeah, that's Jean. A fun story. And of course, uh, George Mason that year. And hey, you know, yeah. it was a great one. Was uh, shoot, nobody even mentioned is uh, Seth Curry's Davidson team. Davidson was a lot of fun <laughs> with Seth. Same, yeah. like thirty plus points, maybe. I want to say they got to the Elite Eight, almost got to the Final Four and lost to, lost to the one seed maybe, Kansas, North Carolina, Kentucky. But that was a great team, and Seth was at a next level. Uh, disassociated in the roundtable mailbag says, we might laugh, but don't sleep on Sing Street as an Irish movie. Great movie that was set in Dublin. Have to check that out, disassociated. Tide World says when it comes to Cinderella's, it's all in the topography Florida Gulf Coast. What was that? Dunk City, they were called a few years back. Remember Florida Gulf Coast making that run in the NCAA tournament? And then also Grand Canyon from this year, according to Tide World. Grand Canyon University. All right. Out there in the That's in the great state of Arizona. There's a theory. There's a theory. And uh I think we're good, man. I think that's a wrap. And uh we hope everyone has a great St. Patrick's Day, and in all seriousness, if you are in the state of Alabama on this Wednesday, please stay weather aware. Uh, major storms, tornadic conditions, uh, beginning in the afternoon, going through the nighttime hours. Uh, hey, Tim, you guys bunker down, man. Be safe. Yeah, we're hunkered in. we got all the kids locked up. They won't be going anywhere. We're putting everything up that can fly away so we have safe spots so hopefully everybody else out there is safe too hey and uh hang out with us at bamaonline.com and of course the roundtable message board a great place to post up 
with Tim, myself, Charlie Potter, Kurt McNair, Hank South. We got you covered. NCAA tournament coming up. You got spring football coming up. Recruiting is nonstop. Each and everything that you could want covered from the Alabama perspective, we got for you there at BamaOnline.com. A lot of fun, Tim. We'll do it again soon. All right. See you next week. There he goes, Tim Watts, Travis Schreier. Thanking you once again for joining us on the Bama Online Podcast. If you haven't already, how about a subscription to the podcast, a rating and a five-star a five-star rating and a review would be very much appreciated. Take care. We'll talk to you again when the Bama Online Podcast returns real soon. <laughs>